land is mine. God gave this land to me. This brave and ancient land to me. Children can run free. So take my hand and walk this land with me. And walk. Well, good evening. Welcome to Yada Yada Radio. My pleasure to be with you this evening. I want to start with a couple of items in the uh, the news. Um, First of those is that, and I see that uh, BB has already announced it in the chat room, that uh, inflation is roaring. Uh, Published inflation for the last 12 months is at 8.6%. Let's call it 9%. But that is just... uh, uh, a tiny aspect of what is actually happening. Uh, first, we have a very rapid rise recently. So, you know, if prices went way up six months ago and to 12 months ago, and they were tapering off 8%, well, you know, 8% or 9% really is serious, considering the United States has over $30 trillion in debt because that's uh, um, nearly $3 trillion a year in just interest payments that you would add to the debt before you even add more deficit uh, for uh, spending more than we take in. But that's not the case. The case is that uh, inflation is accelerating and accelerating quickly. So what has changed that would cause those? Because we're going to read in a moment a speech that the numbskull, uh, and it's stunning how really stupid people are that we elect to public office. But uh, the numbskull uh, that we call, uh, or that I don't call, but many would call President of the United States, POTUS, is trying to shed blame. But here's the reality. There are two primary drivers, uh, maybe three, of the current surge in inflation. One of those is food. And food crosses have gone up because the numbskull-in-chief decided that he wanted to uh, have a war against Russia. And Russia is the leading exporter of fertilizers, a key component in food production. And Russia is a key uh, grain producer. Uh, And the Ukraine is also a key grain producer. So 
it's likely that not only are Americans going to spend vastly more money for food because of the numbskull in chief, but millions of people are going to starve worldwide. That was the consequence of he and his uh, son's personal vendetta against Russia uh, for uh, the imaginary influence and the election against Hillary Clinton, and that was completely imaginary, uh, and for his and his son's involvement in Ukraine, for their own personal political maneuvering, he decided that he would use the Ukraine as a proxy to inflict pain on Russia, and the consequence is he's inflicted pain on Americans and is going to starve millions of people around the world. The other aspect in uh, mainstream inflation is that the Biden administration was a drunken sailor as it relates to government spending. They wanted to have a robust economy after constraining it with their ridiculous COVID responses. And so they uh, pretended that money didn't matter. Trillions upon trillions upon trillions. In fact, it was a member of the Democratic Party that finally said, enough already and stop the last two. The damage was already done. Our economy went further in debt. The illusion of prosperity faded, uh, and the value of our currency was destroyed. So inflation isn't that goods and services cost more. It's that the currency that is used to buy and sell them becomes worth less. And anybody that is running for public office must know that. If you do not know that, if you're not bright enough to understand that concept, then you ought not be taking a paycheck from the federal government. The next aspect of worldwide inflation is energy prices. So what's happened? Is there a shortage of oil all of a sudden? No. All self-inflicted. And we're talking about massive. We're talking about going from uh, under $2 a gallon to well under $2 a gallon, to in some states now over $7 a gallon. Massive. What happened? Biden came in and said he wanted to eliminate fossil fuels. He came in and said, no, we're going to shut down things like the Keystone Pipeline, so there's not going to be a flow of, uh, of oil from uh, our neighbor to the north. Then he said, we're not going to allow uh, oil companies to drill on federal lands. We're not going to allow them to drill in Anwar where there are enormous reserves. We're not going to allow them to drill off the, uh, the coast of California or the East Coast or in the Gulf. We're only going to give them rights to drill in places that no longer have any oil. So he devastated access, productivity, transportation, petroleum. And then the moron decides that he wants to declare war on Russia rather than recognize that we were in a situation where the Russians were simply saying, as we did when the Russians put missiles in Cuba to counteract the missiles that we had put in Turkey, we'll remove our missiles if you remove your missiles. And this time, the Russians said, we'll remove our troops from that border if you demilitarize Ukraine. But of course, the numbskull and chiefs Chief Nubskull, the vice president, went out and bragged, we applaud 
the Ukraine's desire to be part of NATO. But it can't just blame it on this numbskull in chief. Uh, the top two leaders in the Senate of the um, Republican Party are on video uh, blabbing about how they wanted the Ukraine to fight a war against Russia and that they would be the Ukraine's ally, that we would supply them with all of the weapons needed, that their enemy would be our enemy. And as such, they were saying that the United States would go to war on, against Russia using the Ukraine as a patsy, I mean proxy. This was in 2014. It's been going on for a long time. And because of the fact that uh, Russia supplies the majority of, uh, of Europe's gas and oil, leading exporter of gas and oil in the world, by sanctioning Russia because the United States wanted to go to war against Russia, we drove up oil and gas prices. So the combination of what he did to this industry, the combination of what... He uh, did to this country uh, prior to that war and then the consequence of that war. He is solely to blame for this. In fact, you know, he wants to eliminate the oil companies that go to all renewable energy, which is impossible. So what does he do? Now that inflation is, uh, is roaring, now that everyone knows that he is at, uh, at fault for that being the case, what does the dunderhead chief do? He goes out on a speech today, and he blames Exxon. Yep, Exxon. He said Exxon made more money than God this year. I didn't know that God was into making money. He said that in a speech to dock workers and union representatives at the Port of Los Angeles, which his COVID responses essentially shut down, destroying supply lines, which, of course, cause further inflation. He says, why aren't they drilling? You idiot. They're not drilling because the lands that have oil, you have forbidden them to drill in. You're at fault. That's why they're not drilling. You're at fault because you have put too many restrictions on the transportation and refining of oil. And so the numbskull in chief, he says, it's because they make more money not producing more oil. Have you, can you imagine somebody this stupid as president of the United States and he doesn't know basic economics? That he thinks that, they would, that an oil company would make more money by having less product. And the dunderheads listening to him have been so indoctrinated in the liberal progressive educational system that they're like, yeah, yeah, that's true, boy, he's got him, boy, you go after him. And every word is a lie. Basic economics. The United States government, to, uh, to be able to tax companies more, came up with called GAAP, Generally Accepted Accounting Practices. And GAAP requires you to burden your inventory. It requires, which is you, you put on, uh, on your inventory all manner of, uh, of uh, ghosts present and past. And that you use a, a, uh, a cruel system where nobody actually knows whether or not you made any money or not. 
It's just these are the guidelines of the uh, of how you apply the uh, the math. Uh, it's not a cash system, and in inventory management within generally accepted uh, accounting practices, GAP, you have two choices: first in, first out; last in, first out; LIFO or FIFO. Those are the only two choices. You can't change. You pick one, you pick the other. If you're using a last in, first out system, which is what the oil companies are doing, and they've always done that, that keeps them current with the market, last in, first out. Uh, In a commodities-driven market, it's the most intelligent choice. The problem is, when prices go down, you have to devalue your inventory, which causes the impression of a loss. And prices go up, you reevaluate your inventory, you price your inventory based upon the market price. Therefore, the value of your inventory goes up. Their, their profits are based upon an accounting function, not based upon selling more oil or gas based upon an accounting function. I know that. How could he not know that? And then he goes on to say that they need to start paying more taxes. The challenge created by the war in the Ukraine is being just used as a reason to make things worse for families with excessive profit-taking on price hikes. That is not true. It is a blatant lie. They're not hiking up profits. As a matter of fact, this is what's interesting. He is speaking on behalf of a government that makes nothing, that is a, a parasite. And he's talking to one of the most efficient companies in the world, a company that can do what the U.S. government can't do, can explore and find oil and gas, can drill for that oil and gas, even in the toughest environments, can transport that oil and gas, can refine that oil and gas, and can distribute that oil and gas through a vast array of filling stations around the world, and can do so at very small margins. Their profit margins are exceedingly small. Exceedingly small over a lot of revenue, because they do it so well, is a lot of money, but it's exceedingly small profit margins. If the U.S. government nationalized the oil companies and says, we're not going to make any profit at all, we're just going to pass the cost right through, the price of gas and oil would triple. Why would it triple? Because the U.S. government does not have a profit incentive, doesn't do anything well, and would all of a sudden be spending vast amount of money, paying bribes, wasting money, being unproductive, and that slim margin is inconsequential to the waste of government. That's the truth. And yet this Nimrod in chief will blame the oil companies for the mess that he created and the media not smart enough to recognize the difference, plays along. There was a report uh, this week out of WHO. WHO, 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 the World uh, Health Organization. 
They uh, said, well, you know, that report that we published a couple of years ago said that um, uh, the Wunan lab uh, couldn't have been responsible for this corona thing. No, China pays us too much money, too many bribes. No, no, we, we couldn't be that Hunan lab. Well, I've come out and said, well, yeah, clearly came from Hunan. Yeah, there's no reason to discount the lab. Yeah, it was probably bats, not something else. Um, yeah, well, more likely it was the lab than anything else. Now, let me tell you how simple this is. All right, the first cases and the uh, and the uh, explosion of uh, coronavirus around the world happened in Hunan. And Hunan happens to be the one place where there is the largest research center in the world and most active research center in the world for coronavirus. Gee, I'm sure that's a coincidence. It was bat-based. Gee, the Hunan lab is using bats with Ebola, coronavirus, and uh, HIV, mixing them together. And that's what... COVID-19 happens to be. I'm sure that's a coincidence. The first reported people that were stricken with COVID-19, died from it, were employees of the Wudan lab. I'm sure that's a uh, just a coincidence. The United States was funding gain-of-research, grain-of-function research that causes a virus of this type to be a more effective in attaching to a human host. And that's the thing that caused COVID-19 to be different than every other form of, uh, of virus. Published papers on that, but I'm sure that's just a coincidence. So why don't we take the concept of Occam's razor, where the simplest answer is the best answer, and let's throw it on its head and say, well, just maybe. Maybe, yeah. But uh, the progressives who denounced Trump for making that claim aren't smart enough to realize they were lied to. Don't think it matters to them. I also saw that BB posted something in the chat room that is uh, interesting. He uh, mentioned that there is now a uh, a murder attempt, an assassination attempt, on a conservative Supreme Court justice, Kavanaugh, who was appointed by Trump. Yeah, a guy came, a liberal, obviously, upset, he said, at uh, recent police shootings in Vivaldi, Texas. Oh, my God. He's not focused on what matters there, but he wanted to blame Kavanaugh for that. And so uh, he went armed to the teeth, knives too, we ought to ban knives, I'm sure, uh, to kill Kavanaugh in his home. Do you know that uh, that news story broke a couple of days ago? It isn't in the top feeds of any major newspaper in the world. Nope, nope, nope. But you know what is? The quote-unquote riots at Capitol Hill. I remember that day, January 6th. I watched it. 
I was, you know, I'm not a Trump fan. I'm not a, uh, I'm anti-politics. And so I watched it and, and I, I was just amazed by what I was saying. And the preponderance of the people, like at least 95% were seasoned citizens, typically of big beer bellies. Uh, they were uh, taking selfies with their phone. They were meandering around on the Capitol Hill lawn and, and portico and porches. They were breaking inside. They weren't doing anything. They were, this, if this was a riot, then we need to have a new definition of the term. This was a bunch of old fogies taking selfies. Yeah. There are numbskulls amongst um, absolute numbskulls. Uh, Proud Boys and the uh, the like. They're anti-immigration. They're you know they're they're just they're lost in space. Uh, it's hugely conspiratorial. Uh, and there are some of those. It's probably I'd uh, say one percent, two percent of those who uh, went from the Trump rally to meandering on uh, the Capitol doorsteps, which by the way is a public building. Uh, and uh, uh, that one two percent. Did some stupid stuff. Uh, they didn't deliberately kill anybody. They didn't deliberately rob anything of, uh, of consequence. They dispersed and they haven't gone back. The end of them. Now that one, two, three percent of that crowd, what they did and uh, and going into the uh, that chamber and what they did in terms of of busting through uh, doors and walls, it's a crime. And I have no problem with them being <clears throat> prosecuted. But I do have a problem if you're going to prosecute them and you're not going to prosecute the people with Black Lives Matter who rioted. That's not reasonable. They deliberately broke into stores and their organizers encouraged them to do so and said it was right for them to do so. And they robbed not public buildings, of meaningless trivia. They were private businesses of everything. They were violent. They actually went out to kill people and did. And so if you're going to pretend that what happened on January 6th was an insurrection and a riot, which they, all their talking points were threat against the nation's democracy since the Civil War, no, it wasn't comparable to 9-11. No, it wasn't. In fact, it was boring. Inconsequential, other than the 1% that belligerent because, uh, well, they're conspiratorial in that case, and they're as thoughtless as progressives, as extreme liberals. All the while, you have... Black Lives Matter, pretending that whites are out murdering and hunting down blacks when, in fact, 93% of blacks are killed by other blacks. Serious problem in the community and the culture. And the finger needs to be pointed right back home. This is a serious problem that needs to be resolved. It does not need to be excused, blamed on someone else. But nonetheless, that is the country that we find ourselves in. And 
the reason that I bring this to your attention is that we only have 11 years left to the Day of Reconciliations and Yahweh's return. And things are going to continue to fall apart. They are going to get much, much worse. The Israeli government now is completely dysfunctional. Uh, it uh, will continue to uh, to fall apart. It, this last government was uh, an amalgamation of uh, of, uh, of greed. Uh, the government that it replaced was as unethical as uh, you can imagine. An amalgamation of uh, right wing politicians and religious fanatics. And Israel doesn't have anything that is sane in between. So the world's going to devolve. Our currencies are going to become worthless. Our economies are going to fail. People are going to starve. Uh, we've uh, got an uptick now of monkeypox. We have an uptick now of COVID. So many people are suffering long-term uh, COVID symptoms. The world is falling apart, and it's falling apart rapidly. And we have nothing but absolute idiots over this nation. I have one last item in the news. A uh, Rabbi Moshe Yadzi, Yadzi, Y-A-Z-D-I, 59 years old. He was indicted Monday on seven counts of rape and fraud, uh, but taking advantage of, uh, of women. He uh, convinced them to give him hundreds of thousands of shekels based upon his fraudulent claims. Well, he was a practitioner of Judaism, after all. He has got nothing but fictitious claims. He was the head of the uh, Pillars of Peace, a nonprofit, so that he wouldn't have to pay any taxes, which included a soup kitchen and food deliveries to people who are needy. And he taught daily Torah classes, going to read Talmud. He encouraged people to come back to Torah observance. He really meant Talmud. He developed this concept called canceling the mind, which is total obedience to the Torah, which he means Talmud. Do so unthinkingly, because if you were to think, eh, you would reject this. He described himself as a true righteous person. And one of the mystical 36 hidden tazdikim, righteous, who was able to communicate with the Holy Spirit and with deceased rabbis. He led his followers to submit to his will, even if it seemed immoral. But it was never a violation of halakha, Jewish law. Then he sexually exploited seven women. He told them separately and individually that he had a special soul. And if he would, they would allow him to do his thing to them, they would be purged and cleansed. Yes, sex with the rabbi was God's way of perfecting them. Sexual abuse in the ultra-Orthodox Herodim world. Welcome to the condition, the fallen state of the Jewish people. That's probably enough uh, news uh, for uh, 
for this evening. I want to return to where we were this time last week in the program. Uh, Kirk uh, is uh, missing his second program, I think now, in five or six years. So uh, we're going to dock his pay uh, um, as a direct result of, uh, of that. But uh, he'll be with us uh, again uh, next week. This is Bob Minbar um, in the wilderness. Ba means uh, with uh, or in, and the uh, bar is word. Uh, me, uh, the M-I uh, here, would be to ponder and question. So in pondering and questioning the word, Bob Midbar, 2715 is where we left off. Then Moshe spoke. Moshe means one who draws out from Asha, spoke to bar, word, to El Yahweh. It's not hard to know what God's name is, and that's one of the most disgusting things about Judaism, is they play a lead role in precluding Jews from knowing and using Yahweh's name. Of course, they'll lie and say, the name is too sacred, and no one knows how to pronounce it. So you can read the many thousands of words that are pronounced every day with the same 22 Hebrew letters, five of which are vowels, 17 which are consonants, those 22 letters. You can read every, you were saying Torah this, Torah that, Torah this, Torah that. Where do you think you get the O sound in Torah if it's not from the Wa? Where do you get the A sound in Torah if it's not from the He? Which leaves you only one letter to pronounce, which is the Y, which is pronounced in Yisrael, Yashaya, pronounced exactly like we pronounce the Y in English today. So this lie that the name is unpronounceable is so easy to refute just by saying Torah. How about Shalom? How about Eloah for Elohim? Then Moshe spoke to Yahweh. He didn't speak to no Jesus Christ. There was no Jesus Christ. He didn't speak to Allah. He didn't speak to Hashem. He didn't speak to Adonai. He spoke to Yahweh. To convey. Yahweh. That name again. God of the spirits. Ha-Ruakoth. For every herald and messenger has chosen to continually summon and appoint for the purpose of being accountable, Pagat, to determine, as determined to call and assign responsibility for a careful inspection and accountability to review and instruct. This is called imperfect use of, which means literally and actually continually and consistently, and according to his will. An individual, Ish, positioned as Ha'ida, a witness, on behalf of the eternal and restoring testimony to the community, who, for the benefit of the relationship, Asher, will be brought out to disseminate the information publicly, yatsa, before them. 
then to reveal the correct path to the relationship, he will arrive to pursue them such that they will not be without a witness on behalf of the eternal and restoring testimony of Yahweh. They will not be akin to a flock of sheep who are without a shepherd to guide them. And so Yahweh said to Moshe, you should want to select and obtain for yourself Yosha ben Nun. Yahweh liberates and saves the children who continue to grow and who are empowered and enriched. He is an individual who, to lead the way along the proper path to receive the benefits of the relationship, has the spirit in him. Be supported and upheld by placing your hands upon him. Bob Midbar in the Wilderness, Numbers 27, 17, and 18. That's a lot to be said. And actually it was 16, 17, and 18. Uh, and it, it is, there's some, some vocabulary in here that people have a very difficult time with and therefore don't understand how powerful this statement is because God wouldn't say, listen, hey, Yosha ben Nun has been with you all the while. He went up to the summit of, of uh, Torah. I specifically invited him there. He was there when you received the, uh, the Torah from me. He's been with you there all the way. Uh, this is Bamidbar uh, I 27, so the two great incidences, uh, the, uh, the meltdown in Numbers 13, where the explorers came back shaking in their boots, lions, tigers, and bears, oh my, we're not going in there. We just assumed, in fact, our preference would be that we would have died with our religious brethren. That's Numbers 13. Amazing uh, chapter. In fact, it's the most recent chapter that that I have uh, rewritten uh, for Volume 8 of Yada Yahweh. And then uh, Numbers 20 is the waters of Mirabar, where the children of Israel have another meltdown, go all religious on Yahweh, and say they uh, they want to go back to uh, so this is the 27th chapter and so you know at this point we are nearing the end all of that has already transpired and when we deal with the the these episodes these uprisings there are only two standouts Kaleb who is the number one standout a fellow whose name means either all heart or totally judgmental Kaleb uh, and Yosha ben Nun. So God's already prepared him. He was there when the Torah was received. He went in to explore the promised land. Dude's got a backbone. He's trained. He's ready. He's equipped. Moshe is burned out. Um, he did not do well at either of those two episodes that I shared with you momentarily a moment ago. So Moshe is worn out. He's... He's 120 years old and acting like it. And the replacement is already there. God didn't need to go through this whole thing and talk about eternal witnesses and restoring testimony and the spirit of Yahweh twice. A, uh, somebody being a Bashar, Harold, 
that God's going to provide someone to show the way, that they're going to, hey, he's going to have a shepherd for his sheep. He didn't go all through that to say, oh, by the way, you know, your replacement is Yosheb. And of course it was. So there's something more to this, a lot more. Prophets, of whom Moshe is the greatest, speak for Yahweh. They communicate God's words in his name and say nothing for any other. The five reiterations of Yahweh's name, inclusive of its incorporation into Yosha ben Nun, distinguish his testimony from the numbskulls who created the New Testament, Talmud, Quran, Mishnah, and Zohar, where Yahweh's name never appears. And throughout the Torah, Nabi, and Mizmor, Yahweh addresses his people in first person, speaking directly through the prophet to Yisrael. This further differentiates Yahweh's eternal and restoring testimony from the rubbish produced by the religious. Now, as we approach Yahweh's opening statement here in 16, 17, 18, and 19, we are tasked with properly translating uh, for very interesting terms, Bashar. Bashar is, is essential because the entire argument of Christianity versus um, the Torah is based on Bashar. Paul would translate it of the flesh, which he then considered bad, and yet the primary meaning of the word is to make a declaration, uh, to pronounce news, to be a herald to be a witness, to provide testimony. The second word is pakad, the third is ida, and the fourth is yatsa. Each can be rendered in multiple ways. Now, since animals have souls, not spirits, and since an infinitesimal percentage of people are immersed, immersed in Yahweh's spirit, in this statement, if we were to render Kol Bashar as all flesh, following the reference to Ruach Koth, spirits of God, well, that would be senseless. All flesh, all animals, are not infused with the spirits, plural, of Yahweh. They're not infused with the spirit, singular, of Yahweh, much less plural. Even though that's how it's portrayed in the thoughtless renderings called English translations. And that's particularly odd because by associating the spirit with the flesh, which is what they do, the central pillar of Pauline Christianity falls. Now this is consistent, however, with what we have learned in Yashaya, Isaiah 11, where God associates his seven ruach Ruachoth, spirits, with his choder, or sucker, and thus with God's Nakri, Malak, Zeroah, and yes, Bashar. And if Yahweh felt it appropriate to empower, enlighten, equip, educate, enable, and embolden his final witness with this level of support, it would have been fitting to offer the same to Moshe. Um, to Yosha ben Nun, to Samuel, to Dode, to 
Yashaya, to Yermayan, to all of the Navi, because their job is far more difficult, far more precise. So while not every herald and messenger is a prophet, every prophet is a messenger and herald. Therefore, not only can we use the primary definition of Bashar in this statement as a herald, it's the only one that fits. We don't have to just accept what we read at face value when we have the opportunity to study these words and come to a reasoned conclusion. Now, turning to Picot. Picot, every definition seems to apply in this context. To guide his flock, Yahweh wants to summon and appoint a spirit-filled individual to review his testimony and instruct his people, holding them accountable. God wants someone to be responsible for his sheep. So he has appointed an Ida, a witness, to share his eternal and restoring testimony, positioning them before the community. Pakad means to be accountable, to be accurate, to take inventory, to do a reasoned assessment. It's a marvelous term. It is a thinking man's term. It's an evidence and reason term, not a religious belief and faith term. The next interesting word is yata. Uh, it's a, the Hebrew term that Yahweh selected to describe the Exodus. Therefore, the spirit-filled Bashar messenger, being appointed by God to share his eternal and restoring testimony on behalf of the relationship God intended, is yata, leading the flock away from danger by disseminating the information the people need to withdraw from the harmful influences of religion and politics. Like Moshe, the Bashar will be liberators. They're going to be emancipators. I had a chance to uh, talk not uh, too long ago, within the last week, uh, to someone who has recently embraced the, uh, the Torah, the Mikre, the uh, and the Covenant. And I asked this individual, so what stands out more than anything else to you? And the person said, emancipation, liberation. And if you get that, then you're on the right track. That is the very first thing that I would say differentiates God's testimony in his way from religion. Religion seeks to control. God seeks to free. Very astute. Asher uh, is uh, used throughout this prophetic declaration to affirm that Yahweh's focus is on sharing uh, his way and showing his people the proper path to follow to receive the benefits of the relationship. It is for this purpose that the Bashar messenger and Ida witnesses arrive to pursue God's sheep. Some 40 would bow follow some bow returning, all bow pursuing the flock, preparing them for the bow harvest. In this way, the Edah witnesses convey the restoring testimony of Yahweh so that the Shon flock knows that they are never without a Ra'ah shepherd to guide them. And the foremost among such men, the ultimate Ra'ah shepherd is the Masiach and Malach. David. 
Now, this pronouncement clearly concludes and therefore is announcing the succession between Moshe and Yosha, Yosha bin Nun. But there's so much more being said. After all, that is why Yosha bin Nun means Yahweh liberates and saves the children who continue to grow and are empowered and enriched. The spirits of Yahweh, which were placed upon him for the benefit of the covenant relationship, enabled him to do this job. Through him, all of those who would follow in his footsteps, Moshe and follow the Torah, would be upheld while Yahweh's flock would be sustained and supported. The remnant of Yisrael, the surviving Yehudim, have been offered the witness who was foretold, albeit one that they were not expecting. And now he is announcing the arrival of the Messiah they do not recognize is their shepherd. One thing I would like to uh, share with you as we talked to this time last week, I said, you know, the I have finished the eighth volume of uh, Yada Yada. Uh, I'm working on the seventh volume. I'm working on the eighth. There'll be a ninth and a tenth. Uh, and then all 20, I don't know if it's five approximately, volumes of, uh, of Yada Yada. Uh, and whether it's coming home, observations, questioning Paul, or an introduction to God, will have been retranslated and rewritten. A monumental task over several years. So we're getting very close. But the thing that I was so impressed with is that even though I have finished it, there are still one chapter left that uh, the uh, edit review team has not finished and therefore has not been finished and David's on vacation. And yet before he left, he got posted on the bookshelf, chapter or volume seven with everything in it, with exception of those two chapters that were still under review. So it's there for you to read. There's some really powerful new insights in it. In fact, I'd say if you just start at the beginning, if you haven't read uh, the Yadiyah series in a while, start at the beginning with an introduction to God. It uh, profoundly better than it was before. I want to switch gears now and, and move. Well, not really switch gears. I just want to turn the page. Um, we're going to go to the 11th uh, chapter of, of uh, what is now the seventh volume of Yada Yawa. Uh, it's called Years, Shana Years. It's on the bookshelf there at the yadayawa.com. Uh, and begin the chapter that's called Nathan the Gift. Uh, the reason I want to do that is that I have um, recently added a, uh, a chapter on uh, the 88th Mismore, which uh, we will uh, consider as the, probably the most difficult translation I ever undertook. Uh, and I uh, want to share that with you because it's, it is food for, uh, for uh, those growing in the covenant. And by the way, speaking of the covenant, uh, the social media uh, outreach this evening uh, is uh, to Germany. Uh, I understand it's very, very late in the, the night in, uh, in Germany, but uh, perhaps the archives will be available and uh, we will have some uh, German Jews in particular, but Gentiles are fine too, 
who will listen in to the program and begin reading uh, Yada Yawa. So um, welcome to those of you uh, living in Germany. So I did that. Uh, I also went back and because this volume was on years, it's Yahweh's timeline. So it's pretty hard to present a timeline for Yahweh if you don't focus on the central figure in Yahweh's timeline. That central figure is Dote. You know, he lived right in the middle of it uh, in years 3000 Yah, 3000 years from the time we had been expelled from the, uh, the garden uh, and 3000 years before Yahweh would return. And he's the only person, really, that is returning. Yes, we're going to have a brief revisit by Elia, who's going to arrive on Pesach in 2030 and remain uh, uh, until just prior to Yahweh's return uh, in 2033. But he is, uh, has the role of one of the two witnesses. That's an important role, but it, it's um, essentially nothing compared to the role that David has where the Masayak and Son of God is returning to be king over the entire world, in fact, over the entire universe. So I felt it was important to retranslate. I think it was the eighth time I've done it now. The first words that I translated so very long ago, which is Second Samuel 7. And that became uh, one of those uh, new chapters of, of Volume 7. Uh, but if you're going to do this timeline around Dode 2, you've got to do what I think is the most misunderstood prophecy about Dode. And that's found in Yashaya 9. And so this chapter I'm going to share with you now uh, is a presentation of Yashaya 9. And yet, as is our custom, because this is the way God likes it and the way we like it, uh, we're going to begin in Yashaya 8. Too many mistakes are made when people take a little snippet and say, well, this must be talking about Jesus, even though it names Dode, because they remove it from its context. It's the context that provides the, the foundation that we can stand on, the proper perspective, so that we will understand what God is saying. So this is the Nathan, which means the gift chapter of volume seven, Shana years. Uh, the byline is upon his shoulders. Toward whom is Yahweh directing our attention through what has been throughout this volume? And we've shared a number of chapters with you. A remarkable succession of prophecies. Did Gabriel, when he was speaking to uh, Daniel in Babylon predict the arrival of the shepherd, the lamb, or both. In the Torah's test to ascertain who is a prophet, did Moshe speak of Dod or Yosha when he said that someone who will come, who will be like him? And now turning to Yashaya, is the soaring rhetoric in the ninth chapter addressing the return of the Messiah or the arrival of the Christ. Blinded by the waning legacy of a now discarded religion, years ago I misidentified the object of these prophecies. 
It was not until I correctly assessed Samuel, 2 Samuel 7, that I began to identify this most important individual. Beginning uh, at that time to accept, to appreciate, uh, and to announce him on behalf of a people in dire need of a shepherd and savior. Now, this revelation, this realization is so essential, it really becomes the impetus for the, the entire rewrite, you know, from beginning to end. This is the reason that not only I, but several, I mean, uh, Jackie and uh, JK, uh, Molly, uh, Mike, so many, Todd, have devoted so much time, so much energy to rewriting these books from, well, right from the translations up. The impetus was on the awareness of who is the Messiah, who is the Son of God, who is the branch, who is the chosen one, who is the firstborn, who is the King of Kings, who's returning with Yahweh. Who was being discussed in 2 Samuel 7? There's really nothing more important because it's central to Yah's story. So as we endeavor to complete this three-year project to refocus Yada Yahweh on the man whom Yahweh focuses, we're going to come to better know the identity, the character, the purpose of the individual being discussed in Tabatim 18, 2 Samuel 7, Yashaya 9, and Daniel 9. It is essential to our relationship with Yahweh, as are the depictions of his Bereth and Mekre. Now I say this because failing to appreciate what God has predicted has not only severed the relationship between the Almighty and Yisrael, it has given rise to the religions most opposed to Yehudim. Islam would claim Dabadim 18 on behalf of Muhammad and Christianity, Yashaya 9, for their Christ. All the while, the rabbis would main, remain oblivious to the obvious. In the interim, between the time of Dabadim 18 2 Samuel 7, Yashaya 9, and Daniel 9, were scribed 2,000 to 3,500 years ago. There is no record of anyone explaining how and why they all point to the arrival of the past and future king of Israel. And so that we do not repeat the mistakes of the past. Let's approach Yashaya 9 by examining what the prophet presented in the testimony that leads up to it. We're going to review it in context. Beginning with Yashaya 8.1. I don't think you'll be disappointed. This is worth the investment of our time. Yahweh expressed to me with unfolding implications Obtain for yourself a very large vellum scroll to make this widely known. Choose to write with a stylus in the common characters associated 
with mortal man. La Mahar Shaklal Kush Baz Concerning senselessly and impetuously being prepared, almost eager to be looted and controlled by the treachery of this despicable conflict. God has just said, name your children. Herodim that are being abused and robbed by rabbis. Mahar is the aggressive and moronic, the rash and disturbing, rapidly approaching non-existence. Shalal is of being seized, victimized, and spoiled, ransacked, and robbed. Kush, hastening the process, being prepared and coming to relish, being ready. Baz, to be stolen as prey in the contemptible battle shattered and dispersed. We should be celebrating the fact that Yahweh asked his prophets to record his revelations, to put them in writing. In this way, even today, it is as if we were there. The old uh, Walter Cronkite did a series of black and white shows that were specifically geared for... um, schools and they would all begin with some episode in world history and it says and it is as you were there well that's exactly what the written testimony on these scrolls enables us to do we can listen in to god speaking through his prophet to israel and therefore to us we should be celebrating that we should also appreciate that God invented the Hebrew alphabet with its pictorial letters for this purpose, so that we would be able to discern what he conveyed so long ago. And in this regard, almost every one of those letters was drawn to depict mortal man or to show something useful to us. Before I go through these letters, I do want to share something else. The arguments of the scholars, those are people that know many things and understand nothing, was that the Torah was written by four different people. There was the Jehovahist, even though there's no J in Hebrew, and Yahweh's name is not Jehovah. There was the Elohist, playing off the Hebrew word for uh, Almighty. There was the priest, which is the, uh, the Kohen, uh, and uh, uh, I don't know if it was the Deuteronomist or um, one other. And that it was all put together and finally written sometime in the, in the uh, 6th, 7th century BCE, I mean, long after Dode. So I don't know how Dode then managed to write the 119th Psalm, which he dedicated eight different um stanzas to each or refrains to each of the 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet alphabetically to review the Torah uh, when there wouldn't be a Torah for three to four hundred years. Nonetheless, nonetheless, uh, you know, we've uh, we've got the uh, the issue of now 
that about uh, three months ago now, found in Israel was a silver scroll, a silver tablet, that used these exact letters. The letters in the form of, uh, of humanity and the implements of humanity to convey the message that God conveyed through Yosha bin Nun at this day. And so the argument that the numbskulls that were called scholars came up with is, one of the reasons we know that the Torah was not written by Moses is there was no Hebrew alphabet. Oops. They found it dating back to 1400 BCE. All right, so let's look at the, uh, the letters as they, uh, as they appear in alphabetical order that are, uh, uh, have ordinary human characteristics. The first is the uh, gamal. It is a, uh, it's a foot. The hay is a person standing up, reaching up. The yod and the kef are hands. The yod is the uh, arm coming down, reaching out with an open hand. The kaf is the palm of an open hand. The ain is clearly an eye. It means eye in uh, Hebrew. Uh, the pay is a mouth, and pay means mouth in Hebrew. The tazde and the rosh depict observant individuals, and the shin was drawn to show our teeth. The bereth is a home. The dalet is a doorway. A wa is a tent peg. A zane, a plow. A chet is a wall. The teth, a basket. The lamed, a shepherd's staff. The mem is water, and nun is a seed. The shemek, a sign. Kof is the light of a new day. Why the ta represents God's signature. Of the 22 letters, this leaves only the aleph, which is the head of a ram, a male lamb representing Yahweh, our God and our Father. Properly translating the meaning of la Ma'ar, Shalal, Kush, Baz, requires some thought because several of the words convey somewhat similar ideas. Nonetheless, their, the sentiment is clear. From God's perspective, his people have become so senseless, so impetuous, so moronic and rash that they have become willing accomplices in their own demise. They have made themselves susceptible to being controlled and robbed as a result of their shameful and treacherous conflict with Yahweh. Yes, God predicted that his people would be victimized, ransacked, and dispersed, but also that they would hasten their own degradation. This reads, I will sustain a witness to testify for me. Wa'ud la'ane. I will call upon and assist an observant future herald to reiterate, admonish, and restore on my behalf, whose pronouncements are consistent with the evidence and logical, meticulous, and reliable, Ed. Trustworthy and dependable, Amon, verifiable, true, credible, and steadfast. Consistent with ur Yahweh's enlightenment, who functions as a counselor and advisor. 
So as to Zachariah, remember Yah. As a child, Yabruska, Yahu, blessed by Yahweh. Yabersk, Yahu, blessed by Yahweh. So, this is Yeshaya, Isaiah 8.2. This one is also a challenge to translate, because if you were just to render the names as names, the statement doesn't mean anything to you. And if you look up the names of those people, you'd say, oops, these are not good guys. So what's going on? Well, clearly, Yahweh wants men and women to serve as witnesses. That's clear. Sharing his testimony with all who will listen. And he is willing to help assisting and sustaining the observant herald who strives to reiterate what his prophets have revealed. In fact, I think I've shared this with you before. My original rendering of, uh, of this is, uh, as I uh, translated, wa'ud la'ani. One of, the, one of the primary meanings of ud is to repeat, to be repetitive. And so I translated this, I will sustain a witness to testify for me who is repetitive because that, that really is an accurate rendering. And now I've just got a, I will sustain a witness to testify for me. And then in the amplified section, I will call upon and assist an observant future herald to reiterate, admonish, and restore on my behalf. Ud is the descriptive term, the base um, of ed, which is eternal and restoring testimony. But there is a repetitive aspect of it. And I thought that was a good thing. And that it's true. Hey, Yahweh repeats himself a lot. I've been doing this a long time. And you don't very often run across anything that is really new because Yahweh does tell us the same thing from a different perspective using different words over and over again, hoping that, that by repetition, we will come to know and understand and retain that information because that's the way the human mind works. And as those who have read these books and listened to these programs know, I am very repetitious. Yahweh's style of teaching. It is the most effective way to, uh, to learn. So that's the first part of this is that in repetition and uh, being reliable, then what we have is something that man is incapable of creating on his own. Uh, a message that is eternally cohesive, eternally and internally consistent. So pronouncements made on behalf of the enduring and restoring testimony of Yahweh were expected to be logical, thorough, and reliable, consistent with the inspiration behind them. And God's message should be presented in a credible and verifiable manner by one who strives to be trustworthy and dependable. Once again, like the gods, such men and women are represented. Uh, one of the reasons that I was so pleased and have been really joyous over these last uh, two to three years in rewriting all these books is that they are now more reliable. They are more consistent with the Iowa's uh, approach. They are more logical. 
the message is, has a, a greater restoring aspect to it. It's more easily verifiable. It's certainly more credible. And getting it that way is a joy. So I can appreciate when God says these things because I have found in my own life that when I strive to carry them out, there is, the results are, are worth noting. Okay, now since Uriah Ha-Cohen, Uriah the high priest, was a despicable fellow. He built a pagan altar for King uh, Achaz, who was as bad as they came, was modeled after one he had seen in pagan practice in Damascus. So Yah was using this name and position to affirm that his witnesses will convey a message which is consistent with the enlightenment he is providing. Further, he or she will function in the role of a Kohen, which isn't to be a priest, but is to be a counselor and an advisor to the people, especially one who relishes the responsibility of helping God's people benefit from the Moed Mikre. Now, should Zachariah ben Yabertsk Yau be intended as a positive reference then he is the Zachariah, Zachariah, who worked with uh, Hezekiah to remove pagan artifacts from Yahweh's home prior to celebrating Chagmasa. While we are only given his first name, that story is presented in Second Chronicles 29. Otherwise, the meaning of Zachariah, remember Yahweh, is all that matters. And in this regard, since there is no capitalization in Hebrew to distinguish proper names from ordinary words, translation is the better option. Speaking of the possibilities, Uriah Ha-Cohen and Zachariah ben Yabersk Yau may also represent Yahweh's final two witnesses. El-Yah was Uriah, the light of Yahweh, and a very polygious Israel. And the second of the two prophets is most adroitly presented in the fourth chapter of Zechariah. So as we press on to the next statement, we cannot positively identify the prophetess of whom Yahshua is speaking, although she is likely a spokesperson for a religious cult. Adding further intrigue, Nabi was scribed in the masculine rather than the feminine in the great Isaiah scroll. Nevertheless, since Yahweh has been criticizing the religious for having become so misled that they are now Ma'ar Shalallah Kuzbaz, the product of her womb is clearly the consequence of religion. Now, based upon the warning, Yahweh may have asked Yashaya to marry a temple prostitute, as he had with uh, Hosha, so that he might better appreciate why God was so disappointed with his people. Now, I know that 
for you to give up your time in, a, in an evening like this or listening to the archives or read these books about someone who says, these are all possibilities, and I want you to think this through because, well, these were bad guys. So God's not telling you I want to, you to be like them, but those, the words are very positive as they convey a message that is pertinent. And you might say, so, you know, just tell us which one you, it is. Well, I'm obviously telling you which one I think it is. It's better for all of us if I share with you, you know, here's the background. Here is how I came to that conclusion. Encourage you to do your own study, to think about whether or not that's uh, verifiable and appropriate. But I think that's a much better approach. And we've done that from the beginning. We're not going to, uh, to stop now. And this now reads, and so I approached the prophetess, and she conceived, and she gave birth to a son. Then Yahweh said to me, call his name Maharsha'al Kushbaz. So senselessly impetuous, he will be complicit in his victimization, being controlled and looted by the treacherous in this despicable conflict. Because before the boy, before this boy, this lad, the scattered sheep were in danger, knows how to call out my father or my mother. The political prowess, the military strength, and the economic wealth of Damascus. Damascus, along with the plunder and spoil of Shimon, Samaria, will be carried away before the presence of the king, the dictator and sovereign ruler of Ashur, Assyria. This is Yahshua 4. Yahweh is predicting that the Assyrians would soon plunder Damascus en route to sacking Samaria, hastening to quickly seize the bloody. However, slightly Samaria, while both would be plundered, Damascus would remain inhabitable, albeit denuded, of her cha'il, political prowess, military strength, and economic wealth. By contrast, Samaria would be treated as jalal, prey to spoil, a possession, and as a war booty. Her people would be taken away as property. All of this would occur before the aptly named and wayward child would be willing to so much as acknowledge his spiritual mother or heavenly father. Bad things happen when we engage with the wrong people or believe that we can survive on our own. But that's not the end of this story. In the 17th chapter of Yeshaya, the fall of Damascus becomes the triggering event for World War III. Without Russian support, because of America's proxy war against them, the Syrian government is going to fall. That's Yahweh's prediction. And the jihadists who replace Bashar al-Assad, who certainly will be the uh, de facto power in that country when he is gone, they're going to send millions of Islamic jihadists into Israel to kill Jews for Allah. With China and Russia currently supporting Iran's growing influence in the region after the U.S. gifted Iraq to the theocracy of Iran by its invasion of Iraq 
and Europe and the Americans are sponsoring the Sunnis, led by Saudi Arabia, the region is now a powder keg, which will ignite in a nuclear conflagration. This will be the triggering point for the time of Jacob's Troubles, the Teruwa harvest, and the arrival of the two witnesses. Yahweh said that his people will look and not understand. This problem has become so ubiquitous, so obvious, it is demonstrated every day in the media by the religious and the political. Few among us are observant and rational. And with the advent of progressives, cognizant abilities are deteriorating rapidly. My wife came into my study early this morning, sometime around 5.15, and uh, she was sharing what she had uh, read uh, before I arrived and and what uh, she had read at the end of the evening the night before. And it was just this litany of stupidity of how people are are uh, being fooled by uh, politicians and religious leaders. And finally, he said, stop already. First of all, this is good news, not bad news. Because Yahweh told us it was going to happen. It's always good when what Yahweh said is going to happen, materializes. It's, it's a, a way of awakening people to the inevitable so that they're better prepared. And, uh, but I said, Beyond that, it's just depressing. There's too much of it. Let's focus on the positive, on what we can share to awaken God's people uh, before they succumb to this. Let's be the lone voice of reason out there in a very rapidly deteriorating world. Well, as case in point, Yahweh's next statement is long. Uh, It's a singular sentence that conveys a lot of symbolic language. Its overall length and prolific use of metaphors, which draw elucidation elsewhere in the text, are now well beyond the capacity of most of us to understand. So we're going to do our best here, but if uh, I wear you out or lose you somewhere through, I will try to read it uh, again. Uh, And speaking of again, it begins yet again. Why, yes, joining these things together, adding more information. Yahweh spoke to me, continuing to testify, Ud, repeating himself, to say, indeed, because these people will reject and come to spurn the waters of Ha-Shiloh, of the one who is sent, who walks as a gentleman, moving deliberately and compassionately while also launching a scathing attack against Retzen, the self-willed and pleasure-seeking, and then Ramal Yahu, the exalted above Yahweh. Therefore, behold, Yahweh, Almighty God, is withdrawing, and he is lifting up against them accordingly the waters of a powerful torrent in addition to the numerous soldiers of the political leader and dictator of Asher, Assyria, along with the entire manifestation of its power. And it will rise over all of its channels and travel over all of its banks. That's quite a statement. 
Yeah, say uh, five, six, and seven. Yeah, it was meticulous. He's thorough, and for good reason. Repetition is the most effective way to teach those who are anxious to learn. God is also exceedingly fond of metaphors, while drawing pictures with words, while also using people and places in our past to elucidate future events. Even the names of individuals speak more about what is occurring than who they were. The people would ma'as. They're going to reject and spurn the essential life-giving waters of Shilok, the one who is sent. And indeed, whether one identifies Shilok with Yahweh's liberator, Moshe, his shepherd the, and Messiah, Dode, his prophet, Yashaya, his Passover lamb, Yosha, or his final witness, should that be Yada, they were all dispatched with the living and cleansing waters of Yah, our God, who walks gently and approaches mercifully. Representing our Father, Yahweh's witnesses are typically La'at. They are gentlemen. They're often charming, always patient, and their words consistently comfort the covenant's children. They are never in a hurry, knowing that we have a lifetime to share God's mercy. Meshaw's eth cannot be rendered delights in, as is typical in English Bibles, because those being identified were, <coughs> were well, they're horrible people. Therefore, the proper translation is launching a scathing attack against Retzen, the self-willed and pleasure-seeking, and Ben Rummel Yahu, those exalted above Yah. Today, we could, as I've shared, substitute rabbis for both names and Judaism and properly convey Yahweh's intent. Back in time, the northern kingdom allied with uh, Retzen, the self-willed and pleasure-seeking, and Ben Rommel Yahu, the one who exalted himself above Yahweh. But nothing has changed. Men are still choosing their ilk over God. Yahweh was using the impending Syrian invasion of Yisrael to foretell of a second invasion during our lifetimes, something which becomes obvious when we interpret the prophet's words in the 8th chapter against what he wrote in the 17th chapter using similar terminology. After all, the fall of Damascus, which will occur sometime prior to 2030, a ha-nahar, ha-atsum, a powerful torrent of Islamic soldiers and militants will flood into Israel from Syria. So many that Yahweh will have to intervene to stem the tide. Yeshaya 8.8, and it will seep through, Yahuda, exerting the considerable force of a flood while extending up to the neck, making contact with and violently striking while coming to stretch out its wings, filling the breadth of your land such that God will be with us. So 
going turning back into history and looking at it as a window to the future. After capturing Israel and taking 10 of the 12 tribes away as slaves, the Assyrians returned. <laughs> they flooded into Yehuda with a large army, 185,000. But as the prophecy predicts, Yahweh would intervene to save his beloved. At that time, all that was required of Yahudim, Jews, was to embrace the conditions of the covenant and accept Yahweh's invitations to be called out and meet. They did this by eliminating uh, and uh, separating themselves from religion and politics, and then by um, celebrating Pesach, Matzah, and Bekorim. This is also what is required of God's people a few years from now under very, very similar circumstances. Flooding in from Syria, Islamic militaries and militants will so overwhelm Israeli defenses that Yahweh will intervene to assure that his covenant family survives the onslaught. And that makes this pronouncement, like the previous, a prophecy with a near and far fulfillment. With a demonstrable historical event serving as a harbinger of, of what's to come. Israel's politicians today and her rabbis, just the fellow that we read about, it's all of them. They're self-serving. They're misleading. And while unethical leaders are a common denominator among nations today, Israel is unique among the Western democracies. There is a constant struggle between the secular and the sectarian, where an awkward and counterproductive power-sharing arrangement exists between religious fundamentalists, conservative, and progressive politicians within an ill-fitting, very bribe-prone parliamentary system. For Yahweh to save his people, both the secular and sectarian must be rejected. People, by having decided to associate yourselves with misleading shepherds and perverted rulers, Ra'ah, you have chosen to be confused, to be divided, terrorized, and shattered. Wa'katath. You have consistently decided of your own fate is to be genuinely intimidated, bewildered, and dismayed, separated, and shattered. So, by choosing to listen and respond to every distant land and far-off country, you are asking for war and must independently arm yourselves for your defense. And you will have chosen your fate, which is to be terrorized and bewildered, divided and broken. Yashaya 8.9 So by expressing their allegiance to misguided and immoral religious and political leaders, faulty shepherds, Israel has estranged herself from Yahweh. Separated, the people will continue to be abused, they're going to be intimidated, they're shattered. The alternative was to have been enriched, to be enlightened, to be empowered by God, to be emancipated through the covenant with their father protecting them. But why would we expect Jews to choose the easy road? 
considering their history. Israel, more than any other nation, is preoccupied with the opinions of other nations, particularly the distant land uh, across two seas. But by trying to garner favor and respect, Israel has made itself vulnerable to the diabolical demands placed upon the nation. In particular, consider how the United Nations has been commandeered by leftists and Muslims to serve as the world's most irrational and hypocritical anti-Semitic voice. In response to all of this, Yahweh is warning his people that by doing so, they're asking for war. Estranged from him, they'll be left to defend themselves. And war is coming. And Israel is not going to escape. But a time will come when their preparations for battle will be wholly ineffective. The nation will be divided, intimidated, and then overwhelmed by the sheer number of militants and terrorists. Well, we have reached the end of the broadcast portion of our program tonight. I'm going to share one more uh, statement uh, from Yashaya, uh, the eighth chapter, and uh, then we'll pick it up there again uh, last week, uh, or next week, it'll be uh, food for thought. Uh, for those interested uh, in learning more, please uh, read uh, Yadayawa. Uh, we have devoted the time to create fresh and more accurate and comprehensive translations. Uh, I think we've made much more vibrant connections between the various things that God has said. We've been much more uh, accurate and clear about what God is offering and expects in return. Um, the books of, of the Yada Yawa series are absolutely worth your time. And at this point, I would encourage anyone who has not read Yada Yawa in a while, please pick up uh, the three volumes of An Introduction to God. They're, they're free on the site, as you, uh, as you know. Uh, right on the bookshelf, uh, the uh, three introductory volumes are, uh, the first is, uh, uh, is instructions, uh, or first is the word, followed by instructions, followed by Torah. So it's volumes one, two, and three of an introduction to God. Really set a, an excellent foundation to build on. You'll, you'll learn about the sources of of text that we can translate. You'll learn about the Hebrew alphabet. You'll learn about the history of translation. You'll learn about uh, Hebrew grammar. Uh, you'll uh, learn about what tools can be brought to bear to help us understand the, uh, the word of God. Uh, and then we're going to delve into the words that God revealed, including how to properly pronounce his name. And then in, uh, in volume two, instructions, we're going to consider how God instructed us about what's important to him and therefore to us. Well, the Torah section is to study what the Torah has to say, or what the prophets have to say, I should say, about the Torah. And then from there, you know, you're properly prepared on a sound foundation to read uh, volumes one through what are currently seven volumes of Yada Yahweh. Uh, from uh, uh, beginning to man to family uh, to invitations, harvests, and appointments. 
and most recently uh, to uh, years. So I would encourage you to uh, to do that between uh, now and our next program. Just but in fact, between each show, take some time to uh, to read. The site is yadayad.com. It's beautifully uh, presented, and we'd encourage you to do so. Now, let's read this uh, next statement that uh, the prophet revealed on Yahweh's behalf. Speaking to his people, speaking to rabbis, speaking to the Herodim, speaking to the political in Israel today. You may want to devise your schemes, and boy do they ever, based upon the resulting advice and counsel of others. But it will be nullified because you have chosen to be in violation of the covenant. Choose to make your pronouncements and state your claims, but none of it will stand because truly, Emmanuel, God is with us. Man's schemes are compelling, but they will all be thwarted by God. Religious words are spellbinding, but they are universally invalid. Weapons are powerful, but they will not prevail. Because in the end, God is with us, Emmanuel. For this indeed is what Yahweh said. To me, speaking to the prophet Yashaya, in a manner akin to a strong and strengthening hand, thereby teaching me so that I would be correct by keeping me from walking in the ways of these particular people, by saying, I do not want you to continually or consistently speak of conspiracies of anything or everything which by association the people continue to claim that this is a conspiracy. And in addition, do not respect or revel in that which concerns them, wondering about or fearing them. This statement was a real turning point in our uh, lives. For those of you who have been with us for a long time, we know that we had a, uh, a co-host of this program that was a conspiracy buff that started uh, harming uh, people. And, and we translated this and said, no, it's, God's really clear. Do not be advancing conspiracies. You can denounce them, you know, denounce the blame the Jew conspiracies, which are prevalent and have been prevalent for a very long time. You can denounce the anti-vax conspiracies. You can denounce the chemtrail conspiracies. You can denounce the flat earth conspiracies, the 9-11 conspiracies, uh, the fluoride in the water conspiracy. You can denounce them all. Personally, I would hope you would not uh, denounce the reptilian overlords conspiracy because, well, uh, that one... uh, I don't know. I have such fascination with. Yeah, I guess it's so stupid, the reptilian overlords, that uh, it's. Uh, I'm just going to continue to poke fun at them by uh, by distinguishing it as, as such. But God is saying, don't don't advance conspiracies. This, you know, notion that uh, the comet ping pong pizzeria was a had a hidden basement where Hillary Clinton 
was having a uh, uh, a pedophile slave ring uh, for sex slaves, <laughs> and they believed it. They believed that the mass killings are a uh, uh, are false flag operations that they're government actors. This is just utter nonsense, and we ought not be fooled by it. Uh, and so that's what God is saying. And one of the reasons that the, the, I think there's two principal reasons that God does not want us to promote conspiracies. The first of those is that um, they're so thoughtless. They're so easily refuted. They're, they have so little credibility that if you juxtapose one of these conspiracies reptilian overlords, with Yahweh's Torah teaching, you're going to devalue Yahweh's Torah teaching. You're going to say, well, if this nincompoop believes that uh, condensation trails are chemtrails and a method of poisoning people, then there is no chance he has anything else right because he's way too stupid and too easily fooled. So God doesn't want us to integrate lies with the truth. Um, That's one reason. The second reason is the mother of all conspiracies is blame the Jews. Always has been. And so God, while critical of his own people, he's critical of his own people for being religious and political, not for the reasons of the conspiracies. And anyone who is harmful and critical of and to Yehudim, Jews, uh, to any extent beyond simply conveying God's word where God says a lot of things that should cause them to wake up and pay attention. But anyone who has abused them is going to be held accountable. It's just the way it is. So God says, if you don't want to be held accountable, don't do it. God always warns us of such things so we don't make stupid mistakes. And so those are the reasons he doesn't want us to pursue conspiracies. And and, uh, truly today, this is so relevant because the fastest growing belief system in the world, the one that just devours people's time and minds, is conspiracy. So that's why God says, don't do it. All right, well, I look forward to being with you this time next week. I'm sure we'll have uh, Captain Kirk uh, with us. Uh, always a pleasure to be with you. Uh, Shabbat Shalom. Happy, uh, now it's past, but uh, we didn't speak much of it, uh, but happy Shabbua uh, for those who celebrated it uh, last week. Uh, Shabbua is uh, this time where uh, the Covenant's children, those who are the beneficiaries of Pesach, Mats, and Bakurim, are enriched and empowered by God. I think we celebrate Shabuah on every day so that we can carry out the mission of Teruah on God's behalf, uh, on behalf of his people. But uh, a happy belated uh, Shabuah, um, and we look forward to being with you this time next week. May Yahweh bless. Good night.